excuse me, Numbers 9, 15 through 23. Numbers 9, 15 through 23. And on that day, the tabernacle was reared up. The cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even, there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. Then after that, the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched their tents. Or excuse me, at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. And as long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, uh, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was, when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was, when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents, and at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Father, we thank you that this is your word, and you have a purpose for it here this morning. And I'm just asking for liberty to preach your word, and I'm praying that, Lord, you would help to make application. We pray, attend your word with your spirit so that it's not letter, a dead letter, but it's a living word to our souls. And we just pray, please feed us and work in us. We need you and we need you badly, Lord. But we thank thee that, Lord, though the devil may roar, you're ever so near to us. And we ask that, Lord, you would settle in at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, so here we're going to be talking about guidance. Some of you, no doubt, I mean, maybe some of you, if you've grown up in an atmosphere where you did not have television, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but some of you may know what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen uh, where they have these competitions, dog shows, where they have a whole field set up? There's like an obstacle course around there, and they're all competing with their dogs. Some, there's usually a lady running around with a dog. I guess sometimes it could be a man, too. Any time I can remember seeing it, it was always this lady running around with a dog. Uh, maybe that's something that interests you, I don't know. But what's the point? What are they doing with all this? Do they, do they just wanna train the dogs to run through obstacle courses? I guess in some respect, that's somewhat of the objective. But when you look at it, they're securing this dog's obedience. There's no, there's no way they would have been able to do all that. So at first, they're securing their obedience and they get it to the place that the dog finds joy in doing this. So if you've ever seen those, you'll watch when they go around, that dog has got their eyes glued on whomever their master is, whoever their owner is. That, that dog has got their eyes glued. Their ears are up. They're listening for every motion that could come from their owner to do exactly what the owner says. So 
We see elements of that in like dog training, horse training, certain things like that. They try and break these in so that they get to the place where no questions asked, these animals just trust their master or their owner and they do it. I remember also before I was saved watching this movie, it was called Fight Club, and it was actually a pretty crazy movie, I, the, the point of it, but there was these men that after they had this display where they were fighting each other, it was like they wanted to feel alive, and so they had this club where they would fight each other. <laughs> I mean, they would really hurt one another. I don't know why anyone would want to do this, except perhaps it seemed manly to them, and they were just sick and tired of everyday life, and it seemed like something of camaraderie to them. I have no idea. But what would happen was they had this old beat-up house, and they were basically squatting in there, and this is where they started to build this whole thing up, this fight club, which was like this underground thing. These guys would come up onto the porch, <clears throat> the guys who are, are in charge of this fight club, and then there were other guys that would come up wanting to be a part of this fight club, and they would stand up there, they got their bag with them of clothes, they wanna join and become a part of it. He walks up like this, and he looks at the guy, and he laughs and he goes, you're too young. You're too young, it's not gonna work. He walks over and he tells the other guy who's like the, the second leader here, he said, listen, when any of these guys come up on the porch here, he said, if they're too young, tell them they're too young. If they're too old, tell them they're too old. If they're too fat, tell them they're too fat. Just do whatever you can. And so if they stay on this porch for three days without eating, sleeping, or drinking, then they can come in. So they go out there and they yell at their face, they demean them on, the, on this front porch, tell them all sorts of things to try and discourage them from coming, but they stay there. They stand right there. And on the third day, he says, you got black shirt, you got black pants, you got black boots, you have a change of clothes, you have this, that, and the other. The guy says, yes. He goes, okay, get inside. Another guy comes up there and he just immediately starts in on him and starts making fun of him because he was an overweight man. And so then he gets dejected and he walks by. One of the other guys, after the, the head guy kind of goes in, he walks out and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you can just stay here for three days, he'll let you in. What's, what were they trying to do in that? They were trying to secure a obedience. They were trying to see if these people were serious, if they were loyal. So they tried to break them down. We find that just like with a dog, just like with this illustration of these men, or even for the military for that matter, they need to be broken of self-will. They need to be in, have bred in them an other trust, not trusting in themselves, but trusting in another. They need to watch their owner. They need to watch the person who's over top of them. They then get to the place where they even delight in their owner. They delight in the person who's in charge of them. They delight in the approval of whomever this person is that is over top of them. And as a result, as a result look what feats the dogs can perform. Look what feats military personnel can perform simply because they learned to have their own will be subject to another. And thank God that that happened. So here, there's a few things that I wanna look at as we're looking uh, at this text here this morning, a few things to look at. <clears throat> so one of them being watchfulness versus laziness. The other being, excuse me, obedience versus activity, and then the spiritual versus the natural. So, watchfulness versus laziness. Let me ask you a question. Does watchfulness equal laziness? Who would think that that is an accurate statement? Watchfulness equals laziness. You're watching, you're waiting, you're trying to figure out, this is lazy. 
Nobody seems to agree with that, do they? No. Sometimes, though, our actions say otherwise. Watchfulness does not equal laziness, but let me tell you what it does show. It shows dependence. Watchfulness shows that I am not in this just for myself. I am depending on somebody else because I don't trust myself like I do this other one. Therefore, I'm waiting on this person because they know better. Also, watchfulness shows that we have an accurate assessment of our limited understanding. Same thing with military personnel. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody just did whatever they wanted in like a Navy SEALs operation? You'd be in big trouble. They have laid their will in the hands of another, a man who is skilled at being able to know and see and look at what is going on and find the most accurate and best way to get through whatever they're facing. And so watchfulness, far from being laziness, is dependence and an accurate assessment of our limited understanding. These people here that we find in our scripture had to watch God before they did anything else. They had that pillar of cloud during the day. They had the pillar of fire at night. And they were, God was veiled in that, in that pillar, whether it was the cloud or whether it was the fire. And they were watching all the time, always looking, always, you know, okay, it's, it's staying put. The cloud's staying here. The pillar of fire is still here, so then they go back and do about their things, but they're always glancing back, always looking back. Wherever they're doing on that large camp, they're always looking back to see what's going on with that cloud. God was in that cloud. The scripture tells us whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried or waited upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. Notice that. Could be a day, two days, a month, a year. Doesn't matter. They were watching. They wanted to know. And so they were watching. You can see here then attention. And you and I have experienced that if we're trying to walk with God. We have attention. The Bible says, whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. Also, we find not only in this section of Scripture that we're looking at, but we find in Psalm 25, 5, it says, lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So there's a tension between this staying still and watching and then whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do with all your might. And you're trying to think, how do both of these things work together then? Imagine in the desert, being in the desert like these children of Israel. It's hot. Has anyone ever been to the desert? I've been to Arizona and it was, I, nobody prepared me for what that was like out there. I lived out there and they said, it's dry heat, it'll be fine. It was 120 degrees when I stepped off the plane, and it was 70-something when I left Massachusetts. And I thought, 120 dry heat doesn't mean anything. This is crazy. No wonder they have air conditioning in everywhere. They could probably go without food so long as they had an air conditioner in their house. There were little shanty shacks near another place I left, and there was always an air conditioner there. But can you imagine being out in the desert hot sun, living in tents, and just sitting there, waiting? What would you do? For a first day or two, you might feel like, this feels kind of nice, I'm relaxing, you know? Then after the third day, you're like, okay, kids are restless. Uh, You can't, you know, you can go out and walk around the camp and look everywhere. You can't see anything except sand. And maybe the sand goes up back here and maybe it dips down over there, but it's sand all over. And you see those wavy heat lines going all over. You're thinking, I'm starting to go a little batty here. Uh, we, We probably should be doing something. 
So then the guy that's next to you in the tent, he comes out and he says, surely something's wrong. Surely we should be moving or doing something because this is crazy. We've been here for one whole week and we're doing nothing except getting up, collecting manna, we're eating, we're doing all this, and then we just go back in our tents? This is nuts. We got, we got to get out of here. We got to move. And then he said, well, I don't know. You know, Moses told us, you know, here's this cloud and, and, and the pillar of fire. We don't do anything if that cloud stays put. We got to stay. But then the neighbor goes to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. There's this murmuring kind of going around inside the camp. We got to do something. We got to get out of here. We got to move. Can you imagine the pressure that would have? The internal pressure you'd have of being out there in the desert and the pressure of all these cranky people that are around trying to figure out what's going on and you're, and you're in the middle of all this and there's probably some people that are like you and there's probably other people that are poking you to get going and all this happening out in the desert heat. Do something, we're being idle. Andrew Murray said this, the father in heaven is so interested in his child and so longs to have his life at every step in his will and in his love that he's willing to keep his guidance entirely in his own hand. He knows so well that we are unable to do what is really holy and heavenly except as he works it in us that he means his very demands to become promises of what he will do in watching over and leading us all the day. Not only in specific difficulties and times of perplexity, but in the common course of everyday life, we may count on him to teach us his war and show us his path and what is needed in us to receive this guidance. One thing, waiting for instructions, waiting on God. I wait on you all the day is what we read in the Psalm uh, 25 there. We want in our times of prayer to give clear expression to our sense of need and our faith in God's help. We want definitely to become conscious of our ignorance as to what God's war may be and the need of divine light shining within us if our way is to be as of the sun shining more and more to the perfect day. And we want to wait quietly before God in prayer until the deep, restful assurance fills us. It will be given. The meek will he guide in his way. Sometimes watchfulness is used to make well, if you know about rivers and riverbeds, where the, where the mouth of a river maybe comes out into the ocean, you, there's so much unsettledness, the silt that's deposited in there can just be tossed up like that. And as the tides roll in and out, that changes. Sometimes it settles and drops low and the water's clear. And then as the tide changes, the silt comes up, it's all over and it's foggy and murky and muddy looking. It's the same thing, I believe. That's why God wants us to wait and to watch. Sometimes our own thoughts, sometimes our own emotions and our own personality is like that silt that gets up in the way, tosses all up, it's murky and muddy, there's a lot of action going around, and yet I don't have a clear picture of what God is trying to say to me. And so it does at times as humans feel uncomfortable to not know what's going on or to not know what the next step is or to not be clear about what God is wanting me to do. So then we do what we know to do. The normal, everyday, here's what I do. Sometimes that becomes quite unsettling to us because we feel like we're made for something greater, we should be doing something else. But the thing is, if we step outside of God's will, we find that it gets even cloudier than it was before. It's even more confusing than it was when we were in that space of the silt tossed up. And so we need God's help, and the way God's remedy is for that is, watch, wait. Even when it's hardest, watch and wait. It shows us whether or not 
we really trust God? Does God want you to be useless? Does God want to just tuck you off over here and forget about you? No. He's personally acquainted with every single one of us, and he loves every single one of us. But he knows what kind of medicine every one of us needs. There are some people that are quiet enough in heart that they're just in step with God all the time. And so it seems like they go from strength to strength and maybe in some measure more rapid than you do. But then there's other people that they're, it's nothing sinful necessarily, but just humanly speaking, they're so tense and they want to just keep on moving and keep on going. And then when they do that, they get themselves into confusion or they find that they're running on their own human stores and there's no divine grace behind or underneath what they're doing. So a commentator, Whedon, said it like this about this two days or a month or a year, the cloud being there and them having to wait. He said the periods varied from a single night to 18 years, which was the longest halt. Imagine that. They had to wait one night, and then the longest stretch they had to wait in one spot with the cloud and pillar there was 18 years. Could you wait 18 years? By the way, that's strewn throughout the entire Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Paul was called to preach and depending on how you put this all together, he was either off in the desert for three and a half years or seven years before he really went out and did what God had called him to do. He was in a state of confusion. Moses, 40 years tending to sheep. <laughs> Joseph, stuck in a prison for a long time. He had to deal with it. God knows what each one of us needs, and he's got to so order things around us in order to make everything fit together just as he wants, and he's dealing with people's wills. So sometimes our waiting is because he's waiting for somebody else. And we may not see all that, but we do have to trust him because he sees the entire picture. So God help us. But he said, the irregularities and the intervals of motion and rest kept the people always watchful for the signal and always in a state of readiness to obey. That's key. Waiting, not lazy, but always ready to obey. Thus, they were in a school wherein were taught the important lessons of constant vigilance, implicit faith, unquestioning obedience, and perfect patience. There they are. It, God's developing something in these people by waiting and by watching. So that's one thing, watchfulness versus laziness. I hope you see that what God is after is not for us to be lazy, even though there could be this period where it seems like nothing's going on for a period of time. He's after something else. Don't get impatient. He's working something out either out here with others, and probably oftentimes he's working out here and in here at the same time. He has something he's trying to get after, and in your waiting, he's fitting you for the work, whatever that may be. For whatever the next leading or guiding that God has for you, he's fitting you for it in the waiting and in the watching. Then we have this other thought, which kind of is attached to what I've just been saying, but I want to zero in on this a little bit more. Obedience versus activity. Do those things, are they the same or are they different? Or is it that polarized? Meaning that, is it that black or white? So obedience versus activity. This same commentator, Whedon, he said, at the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents, and at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. That's the key. They kept the charge of the Lord. That was the scripture verse that I read. 
Whedon says, the lesson of trust in Jehovah and of patient waiting for his leadings was well learned and always practiced except on one memorable occasion when they presumed to advance without the guidance of the cloud and they met discomfiture and death. That's when they realized they failed and they tried to fix their failure and they said, we're gonna go up anyway. And Moses said, don't do that. You're not gonna, God's not gonna go with you. You messed up back here, yeah, sure, but now don't go mess up again by doing your own thing. Don't go, and they didn't listen and they went anyways. The term charge has special reference to following the guidance of Jehovah in marching and encamping as seen in this chapter here in uh, Numbers 9. When we consider the proneness of men to lean upon their own understanding and to direct their own steps, this record is highly credible, creditable to the Israelites, especially in view of their long periods of encampment. When, they, when their entrance into the promised land seemed to be indefinitely postponed for reasons in the divine mind to them utterly incomprehensible, and this whole account of the cloud, the fact of Jehovah's guidance is reiterated again and again with emphasis. Think about who these Israelites were and what was going on inside their hearts and what we know, and then look at God. He is very wise in what he's doing. We generally equate busyness with obedience, but we also must remember that sometimes waiting is obedience. Being busy can be obeying, but it can also be disobeying. Waiting can be obeying, but it can also be disobeying. You see that it's not in those things, it's in God that we're looking. If we're looking to God, we'll be waiting when we're supposed to be waiting, and we'll be busy when we're supposed to be busy, and that will not become confusing. But if we try and just make a you know, cookie-cutter kind of way to look at this and how we're going to proceed, and here's the protocol, we're probably going to fail. There are general statements that God has made throughout the scriptures that you and I are responsible to do. But those general statements, God then by the Holy Ghost helps to make particular to our situations, whatever that may be. He will say, here's the general statement, but here's now how I want you to fulfill this. Like for instance, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all nations. If all of us just tried to obey that strictly from the letter that we read inside the book, what would that look like? In my mind, it would look like utter chaos. We know that he wants to cover the whole world, but the next question is to be, okay, Lord, if that's what you want is for all the, your disciples to go out into all the world, what part of the world do you want me to go out in? And when and how? These are questions that I want to know because a commander would do the same thing. The commander could say, we're going to war with such and such country. And if a soldier strapped up, put everything on, got inside of a car or inside of a plane and then just went off and started at it, and he was one man, he had a bazooka, he had a machine gun, he had one of those big uh, knives on his legs, and he just went out to war. None of us would look at that guy and say, wow, what a hero. I'd say, what a dummy. Why is he going now? He's got none of it. His captain's not even there. The rest of the army's not even there. He's got zeal enough, but he doesn't have a head. <laughs> he needs some help. But oftentimes, we think completely different when it comes to spiritual things. We don't put that same mind on as that man. But see, God's got a way, and he wants us to see it. So we have to keep looking to him. To obey is better than sacrifice. Some of the things that we do may look right, but it may not be right right now. It may not be what God is even after right now. So that's why we have to be personally alive unto God and walking with him. Imagine what it would be like to be, now here's that one man that went ahead in the military uh, expedition by himself. Imagine you get onto the battlefield and then all of the troops are feverishly busy on the battlefield 
when strategically the commander knows that you guys need to be down in the trenches and wait because I know on the other side of this hill something's going on, they're coming up here and we need to be tucked right down here and wait. But instead of that, they're all like, we're in the middle of a war and they're all running around inside of the battlefield and they don't even know what they're doing, they're just trying to keep busy. That doesn't make any sense to us, right? And, it, and I can tell because there's chuckles, there's smiles. Yes, God help us to have that, that same common sense even in spiritual things. Obedience is not equal to activity. Obedience really is the preference to the wishes of another over my own understanding. The, pressure, the, the, the preference for what somebody else is telling me that I need to do over what I think I need to do. And in this instance, that's not just anybody. We're talking about God himself. I prefer for God to direct me rather than me direct this my own ship. I don't even know where we're going. I'm in the ocean of God's kingdom and the ocean of God's plan of redemption and I have no idea how I'm supposed to navigate or where even he needs me to go. I'm in charge of this such and such fleet, but Lord, where is this fleet supposed to be? What's the next step? Sometimes you and I need to go through some training before we get out on the battleship. Sometimes we need to go through boot camp. All of us need to go through boot camp. I would say a lot of the times the boot camp that you and I go through is when God starts dealing with us inside about our carnal heart. And the carnal heart is that, that fist inside of our breast that says, you can't tell me what to do. I will do all this, but this one thing I will not give over to you. That's mine. Oftentimes that is an attitude or a disposition that we have, and it's not always the same for each person, but it's a package and every person has it if they've been born into this world. And so God has to take us through boot camp and get us to the place where our will is surrendered over to his 100% on everything. And he looks in like a skillful physician and he points it out to us individually. And it's different for every single one of us wherever the stronghold may be, but God will deal with it. And he'll say, my child, this right here. And that's what he's going to talk with us about. So sometimes we have to go through boot camp, but we can't go out to battle unless we've gone through boot camp. You understand? God knows what he's doing. Let's trust him. Obedience is rooted, first of all, in duty. I must do my duty. There's an element of that in the Christian life that goes all the way until we reach heaven's shores. But if it was just that, it would be awful. It's balanced. Obedience is rooted in duty and in love. It's because of my love for God that I do these things. That suddenly makes duty entirely different. You don't think, I've got to love my wife. I've met people like that, but that is not ideal relationship to be in. Oh, I gotta love my wife. Oh, I gotta get her flowers. Oh, I gotta show her how much I appreciate her. Oh, I gotta say thank you for this wonderful meal I'm eating. No, you love her, right? Maybe you ladies get the same thing. Oh, I, God knows, but when you love somebody, it's not the same as when you're just forced to do it. And obedience is that mixture of love and duty together. Obedience is trust in another who knows better. Obedience is an acknowledgement of authority. I'm here and this person has authority. And in this case, we're talking about God. He's got ultimate authority. If obedience is only what makes sense to us, then we're gonna miss the essence of it. Sometimes God does ask us to do things that we don't understand. They, I wanna make this clear. God may ask us to do things that we don't understand, but he never asks us to do something that goes against this book. 
because this is his revelation to us so that we don't go off and make a cult somewhere or do some crazy foolish thing that discredits the name of Christ. He's never gonna ask us to do something against that book, but he may ask us to do things that don't make sense to us. Has anyone been in that position before? You're tucked in a place and, he's, and you know he wants you to do such and such a thing, but you kind of pull back because you think that doesn't make sense. I, what's gonna happen if I do this or that? He's not gonna ask you to be foolish, but he may ask you to do something that your faith's gotta grab hold of that your head doesn't yet understand. God is not just after performance, but he's after loyalty. He wants to know if you really love him. He wants to know if you are going to obey him. Do you know if you're in boot camp in the military and you balk back at those men or ladies that yell in your face, they'll send you on home. Or they'll make you get down on the floor and scrub grout with a toothbrush and they'll make everybody else in your group do the same thing in, in order to bring you under subjection. But if you repeatedly are not under subjection, they don't want you because they can't trust you when it counts. They can't trust you when you're out there in the battlefield and other people's lives are at stake, so go home, buddy. If that's, if that's how you're gonna act, this isn't gonna work. Why do we think that God's gonna be any different when we're dealing with eternal matters, when we're dealing with people's souls, when we're dealing with the image of Christ being inside of us and we're supposed to be showing Christ to the world? Why would God do anything different? I think he would do it that way and infinitely more and better than, a, than at boot camp. But that's just a human illustration for us to understand this. He's not just after that performance, but loyalty. So when they go to boot camp, what they do is, if you were to just look at their, their demands when they're there, it looks unreasonable. My wife said when she went to boot camp for Air Force, she, they, they got off the bus, you get off and you've got a spring in your step, they immediately are just like, what are you smiling at? Stand up straight, put your bag over here. Let's do this, don't you smile, don't you talk over here to this person, you look forward. And they're just yelling at you the moment you get off. She said, when I got off, she thought, oh, I hate this. I want to go home right now. <laughs> but they're yelling at you the whole time. And she said, it was like that all the whole month that she was there in boot camp, just being yelled at. And, and you, you didn't have much encouragement. Why? They were trying to break you down. They were trying to tear down self-will. That that would say to them, I'm my own boss, and you can't tell me what to do. They were trying to get rid of it. They didn't need that or want that. The effectiveness, though, is after boot camp, they don't treat you like that anymore. They've secured your selfless obedience. They've secured your self-will being torn down, and now they can trust you. Then they build you up then they help you to become what you want to be or what you need to be or what the military is designed for you to be doing. They help you, they encourage you, they boost you. There's a strong link between people. There's a camaraderie there. But they had to break that self-will first. So God's not just after performance, he's after loyalty. And when we look at Israel inside of this picture in Numbers, we find that these people were whiny babies. They hadn't got that taken care of a long, long time ago. They're grown adults and they're bucking against God. I don't wanna, I don't wanna. They have this attitude the entire time and they were rebellious. So it makes sense that the loving father would take care of it. And he had to do it in sometimes drastic means. Securing their obedience. Well, I need you to wait here as long as I tell you. 
Even if it takes 18 years, this is where you're going to stay. And they had to get spankings over and over and over again, right? God help us. That may be what God is after in some of our times of waiting. He may be trying to secure in us an unquestioning obedience. Obedience, then, is being at your post, fulfilling the master's charge for you. I had mentioned some of this on Wednesday night, but it's very much like if you go to a restaurant and somebody's waiting on you. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? My wife was telling me when they were in Italy, this is how, what it was like in the restaurant there. You'd sit at a table. They just start taking platters of stuff and throwing it on your table. And you, you were like, I didn't order this. I, I don't, where'd this come from? They would start doing that and they would lay it all out over the table. And they didn't tell you this, but if you touch it and started eating it, then they charge you for whatever was on the table. But they didn't tell you that. And then if you didn't eat it, they'd pick it up and they'd put it on the table over here next to you. <laughs> See if the other people would eat it. Now, if, we did that, if that happened in America, would you tip your waiter? You'd be like, hey, wait a second, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> I don't even want this, right? What we expect is, if a waiter is going to be a good waiter or a good waitress, that they're gonna come by and check on us. They're gonna ask what we need or what we want, if there's anything that they can do. If we say no, they have a smile on their face and they go on. I don't think, how dare they didn't go above and beyond what I asked. I just told them I didn't want anything and then they just acted like it was nothing and they walked away. No, if they ask me if I need anything and I say no and they say, okay, wonderful, I'll be back around in a little while just to check on you. I say, isn't that a good waiter? Isn't that a good waitress? They didn't have to bring me something in order for them to be a good waitress. They just had to do whatever I needed. And when they did that, I was pleased with them. And then you tip them, right? It's the same thing with us. We need to be at our post. We don't go around and just get busy for the sake of getting busy, but we wait. And then when God speaks, we do it. If he doesn't speak and it's like that cloud over top, and we need to stay still, well, then just wait on God. Get close to him. Talk with him. Let him talk with us. And then he'll tell us. Sometimes he'll just tell us these little things we need to do in a certain day. And sometimes it may be this very big thing that he needs us to do. But it doesn't matter to us at all because I've given my will over to his. Whatever he wants, that's what I'm going to do, even if I don't know what it is right now. Hannah Whittall Smith said, it is a fact that the most effectual workers I know are those who do not feel the least care or anxiety about their work, but who commit it all to their dear master and asking him to guide them moment by moment in reference to it, trust him implicitly for each moment's needed supplies of wisdom and of strength. To see such, you'd almost think perhaps that they were too free from care where such mighty interests are at stake. But when you've learned God's secret of trusting and see the beauty and the power of that life which is yielded up to his working, you will cease to contend, condemn and, can, and begin to wonder how any of God's workers can dare to carry burdens or assume responsibilities which he alone is able to bear. It's quite telling. Lord, help us. Watchfulness versus laziness, obedience versus activity. Lord, I just want, I want to have a vision of you. I want to keep looking up to you, whatever you want. I don't want anything to get in the way. I need you moment by moment. Then spiritual versus natural. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even, there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. I've noticed, I noticed this looking here. Isn't it curious that when the natural light is bright, notice that God manifests himself in a cloud. 
But when the natural light is gone, it's nighttime and the, and the sun tucks behind, notice that then God appears as a fiery pillar of burning light. That's instructive. It was instructive to me. So I thought of it like this. The natural understanding often puts God in a cloud. You know, all the way we're looking at things and we see how it's working and we're trying to put it all together, we're trying to analyze it. It, it seems to cloud him. But when you and I get into that dark place where nothing seems to make sense and we get kind of to the end of ourselves with whatever circumstance or situation we find and it seems so dark, that's when God comes through the brightest. That's where his leadership and his guidance is so clear because all of our natural understanding, everything has just set down and the darkness, and I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about ignorance. Because if you and I are to be really honest with ourselves, we are grossly ignorant. What you and I know is very small compared to what God, the infinite, all-knowing God, knows. We know what we see, can sense, and feel, but God knows all eternity and everything that that encompasses and how generations interweave and fit together. God knows all that picture. And so he, like a master, can move us around in certain places, helping us to be set up exactly where he needs us. Who knows if God needs to set up your life so that he can do something great in the next generation? And you may think, well, I was just useless. No. There was a Sunday school man who kept calling on D.L. Moody over and over and over again. Finally, D.L. Moody gets saved, and look at how many people D.L. Moody, through his ministry, had led to Christ. And how many were saved in that man's ministry? Revival all throughout the United States and overseas. And that man said, sometimes, he said, I don't have much to show in my ministry, but if all I was alive for was to get you to God, it's worth it. And I'm not saying that we just need to settle for less. I'm just telling you that sometimes what God has for you is to strategically plant you in a certain place in a certain time because he's preparing something some years down the road and he needs you to be the link to bring right now and the future together so that he can do what he has been planning to do. Because it's not just about us. He's got people moving around. Now, I'm saying it this way for a, a word picture, but it's like a great chess game. And God's moving the pieces around and setting things up so that then he can make that move where everything breaks loose. And sometimes, well, most of the time, you and I have no idea where I am on that chessboard. I don't know exactly what God's doing. I don't know what he has to move around all over this place in order to get it to there. All I, all I need to concern myself with then is, Lord, I'm yours. I'll move when you want me to move. I'll do what you want me to do. The direction of my life is yours. My ambitions are yours. Everything. Because, and, and brother, or Pastor Matt, he said this last weekend, that thing of sowing and reaping. It's still the same kind of effect. What we do now has such a long-lasting reach. And if you and I can be trusting enough to look for the cloud of God or the, the fiery pillar, and move when he moves, then we'll be moving in the order that he's trying to get things to go to, to, to accomplish his purpose. And so the spiritual versus the natural, that cloudiness when, the, when our human understanding is in the ascendancy of things, and then we get down to that place where we feel bewildered and we don't know what's going on, 
That is where the guidance of God shines through with a brilliant fire. So we try to help God somehow or sometimes. We think back, we look in the Old Testament. We, it's like we read something, this is God's will. So now we try and help God's will to get done. And I'm not saying there, there is an element of that which is true. We find in the scriptures, uh, we can't take obedience and push it off to the side. We do need to obey when there's explicit things that make sense in the scripture. But when there's particular things we don't understand, this is kind of a little bit more what I'm speaking about. But Abraham and Sarah, it was really more Sarah's suggestion, she tried to help God's uh, promise come to pass. You're gonna have a child throughout which all, you're gonna have children like the sands of the sea. And Sarah says, well, I'm an old lady and uh, barren, not having a kid. So Abraham, why don't you marry this handmaid over here and then through her, you can get me a son. Through that relation, there was Ishmael. We know now that from Ishmael came the Islamic religion. And look at what the terrors of Islam have done throughout centuries, the bloodshed that's happened through that. All because Abraham and Sarah tried to help God's promise to go forward when God wasn't directing there. God was saying, no, I'm gonna do something miraculous. You have to wait. They were saying, God's gonna do something miraculous. I better help him. You understand the difference? Lord, help us to know the difference. Jacob, he was told and he, he sensed that God was going to use him in a, in a mighty way. He was going to be somebody important in the sight of God and in God's plan of redemption. Jacob ordered the sheep after Laban had taken advantage of him. Jacob ordered sheep. He said, you know what, Laban, I'm going to show to you who God really approves of. I'm going to take care of these sheep. And the spotted sheep and the speckled sheep, they'll be mine. And the ones that are uh, the solid color, that'll be yours. And then what he did was he separates the stronger and the weaker sheep. And then he has this particular poplar branch that puts in there. And I've looked this up. There's even some scientific reason for this. They found it with mice too, that if they could have the same genetics and yet according to what the mother ate, they could change the color of the fur of a mouse. And so the same kind of thing it seems to be what's happening here with Jacob is that he put this poplar into this water that they were drinking and it changed this recessive gene, which was the dominant gene would have been full solid color sheep. The recessive gene was the spotted speckled ones, which were not really sought after at that time. It didn't, that, those weren't the ones that we wanted, right? So what Jacob did was he waited when the strong sheep came up to breed and he would put that poplar branch in there so that then the recessive gene would come out. Then he'd get spotted sheep and the sickly sheep he kept all by themselves. So he did keep his promise, so to speak, connivingly. He kept his promise that the solid sheep were all sickly and thin and those were Laban's. And then all the fat, strong ones, though they were speckled and all, were his. And then he makes the statement and says, see who God has favor with. He tried to help God. And it he tried to help God over and over and over and over again. And he gets down to the end of it and God, he wrestles with God and God keeps saying to him, who are you? Who are you? What he wanted was a confession of his disposition and nature. And he said, I'm Jacob. And Jacob meant liar, deceiver, heel grasper. And he said, no longer will you be called Jacob, but Israel, a prince with God. Once Jacob confessed to who he was and got over it and, start, and stopped trying to go outside of God's bound and make all these things work, what did God do with the man? He made the 12 tribes of Israel and things go forward now from there and you and I benefit from it. Thank God. 
But we find that happening inside of the Old Testament over and over again. So why is this happening? Why do we try and help God sometimes? I believe it's because we don't trust him. We don't trust him like we should. So we try to help him because we don't think he knows, we don't think that he knows what he's doing. You'd never say that from your lips, but if you think about it for a moment, I don't really know how else we would look at that. Sometimes you and I think that God's directing us in a certain way and we may have missed it. That's entirely different. That's just ignorance at times. That's us trying our best, our heart's in the right place and we're going forward. I'm not talking about that. But even at that, we can do a lot of damage because I believe even Abraham and Sarah, I think that situation with them, I don't think they had a bad heart about it. They were just like, well, I'm an old lady and this isn't gonna work so we might as well get this promise to happen over here because it's not gonna happen with this lady. And so she does it. But we have to realize the consequences of all that. I think sometimes, though we'd never say it, we trust ourselves more than we do God. And Lord, help us. So, may God help us as his people. Acting because you're uncomfortable, acting because you're uncomfortable with silence is not good. When you feel like you're shut up and it's quiet, don't just do something because it's uncomfortable. Still wait. Making big decisions while you're under the cloud of confusion is not a good idea. If you're confused, don't make a big decision. Stop. Wait. Even though you're under the cloud. Doing something because it's uncomfortable to not feel busy is not good. You feel like, well, I gotta do something. Doing it solely for that motivation is not a good idea. Working out of intense zeal to compensate for a failure isn't wise, just like the Israelites did. Oh, we failed so bad. Well, now we'll go up and obey you now. No, you won't. The time's already passed. If you do that, I'm not gonna be with you. So acting out of an intense zeal because we failed and we feel so bad about it, now we wanna try and fix it. It's not wise either. What God is after with every single one of us, and we can see it here with the people of Israel, he's trying to secure our dependence, trying to secure our obedience so that he can do what he wants to do through us. And if every one of us do that, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, we're gonna find that things work out in such a manner of perfection, you will you'll be surprised. When I say in a manner of perfection, not only in your own life, but in everyone else's life that's somehow connected to you, God is then able to do because we haven't got in the way. We're not like those cows in India that just fall asleep in front of the train track and they go, well, that could be my grandmother. I guess we'll just wait. It's not like that anymore. We get out of the way and God can move. He can do what he wants to do. And Lord, help us. We also have to remember that when we are waiting in those times, we look over and we see somebody else busily doing the work of God and going forward. You can't then go and look at them and say, well, man, I'm not doing it. Now I need to get busy. Leave it alone. Peter, remember when he was walking with Jesus, he said, Peter said, well, what's, what's John gonna do? He said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. In other words, you leave that one with me. I'm gonna lead this one. And if you trust me, I'm gonna lead you just the same. What you do and what this person do may not always look entirely the same, but if we each do our part, then there's going to be a unified whole. And what's gonna happen is things are gonna work so much better, even in this local church and the way that things go. If we just simply, as individuals, obeyed God, what would happen? What would happen? 
I think it'd be tremendous. And you know what else? I think that where we would perceive gaps in, in, you know, in the congregation or where we would perceive needs that are happening, I think if we all operated just where we know we should be standing before God and obeying him and the leadership of God in our lives, I think that what's going to happen is you're going to find people that are going to start somehow coming into this church that fill up whatever those needs or gaps are. But it's almost like God's got to deal with us first. He's got to help us to realize what needs to take place because if he brings somebody else in the mix, it's only going to be even more messy. And I'm not saying that he won't bring other people in, but I'm just saying for us to be going forward, let's have that kind of a heart and a mind. Lord, what do you want me to do? What is it that you're after in my life right now? And if he says, wait, it may be uncomfortable, but just wait. Wait on God. And waiting on God, open your Bible. Pray. Do the things you know you're supposed to do. But don't go outside of those bounds until he shows you, until there's a clear direction. Then move, then go forward. And I believe God is going to help this local church. I believe he's going to help us as individuals. And I believe that there's going to be great moving forward in his plan if we'll just surrender to his will and allow him to tell us whatever needs happen. So keep your eyes on the cloud. Keep your eyes on the pillar of fire. Don't get your eyes off. If God's not moving, don't move. If God's moving, keep step. And let's just keep moving forward as individuals and as his church. Let's bow our heads and pray.